Why do we need a new high priest and a new priesthood? What difference does that new high priest and priesthood really make for us? Hi, I'm Mark Van Oos, and welcoming you to another episode of Daily in Christ. And we're going to really dig into that. And believe me, there is a strong connection to me and you between this great high priest and a brand new priesthood and a brand new way. We are continuing our study in what I call the most neglected book of the whole Bible. (laughs) That's right, the book of Hebrews. And you heard me right. Unfortunately, the book of Hebrews is rarely preached to these days. It's rarely studied, rarely read, and rarely quoted in Christian literature and sermons. You know, that's pretty disturbing, but I really honestly believe that it's true. Why is this the case? Well, to be honest, as I've thought about why the book of Hebrews, which is about Jesus and about the new covenant, which is about God's commitment and promises to us. In fact, the book of Hebrews is one of the most God-centered, certainly one of the most Christ-centered books in all the Bible. It's because The problem is, the reason why it's so rarely read and studied and preached upon and quoted is because we are honestly so addicted to ourselves. We're full of self-focus, self-effort, self-improvement, and self-righteousness. And because we're so addicted to ourselves, we have a very hard time seeing Jesus. We refuse to entertain the idea of the perfection of Jesus, his perfect finished work, and his perfect priesthood. The fact of the matter is, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is not about us at all. It's about Jesus. And this message of the new covenant will indeed set you free. Now, just understand something. I'm not saying that the book of Hebrews has no benefit for you. We are the glad beneficiaries of the book of Hebrews and all that this wonderful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. It's brought us into all the blessing and full acceptance of God. That's the riches of the new covenant. But this is a powerful message when we finally get our eyes off ourselves, off that uh, self-focus, self-effort, self-improvement, self-righteousness. This is a message that truly sets us free. And in this message that's centered upon Jesus and the perfection of him and the perfection of his finished work, you will see how God will not fail with you. Oh, that's a powerful thought. And it's a true thought. God will not fail with you. You know, we think about ourselves and we fail a lot. If we're really honest, if we were to see ourselves according to the standard of God Most High, we are failures. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus also said in John chapter 6 that the flesh profits nothing. But God is the one who succeeds. He will not fail with you. And that's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. Jesus himself is the surety, the guarantee of a better covenant. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And really, when I think about it, it's so tragic that this incredible, glorious, 
epistle has been so horribly neglected by Christians. You know, if I was the devil, and I'm not, but if I was the devil, I'd want to keep the saints, the children of God, away from the message of Hebrews as much as I can, because this message sets people free. This message gets people God-centered. This this message results in God being glorified, God being praised. And this message, which is at the heart of the gospel, is so very important And that's why I am personally taking all this time diligently praying, diligently studying, and diligently line by line teaching this incredible epistle to you. And my dear friend, you are worth it. And let me say this, God is worthy of all the praise. So before we continue, as I like to do, let's begin in prayer. It's so important not to look to ourselves or depend upon ourselves, even for understanding of the Bible. Father God, thank you for the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us a part of your family. You call us sons and daughters. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Lord, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, And Father, I praise you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I give you praise for that, Lord, and it's all because of you, Father, your heart of righteousness, your heart of holiness, your heart of goodness, your heart of love. Now, Lord, as we dig into this wonderful epistle, your word I pray, Father, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would once again reveal Jesus. May we see him in deeper, clearer dimension. Father, I pray that you, by the Spirit, would enlighten the eyes of our heart and our understanding, that we would know the hope of our calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead, exalted him above all principality and power, seating him at your right hand. And Father, I thank you. Lord, I'm excited about what you're going to show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, the book of Hebrews builds line upon line, and you have to understand what was taught before in order to move on to the development of the material. And that's why I like to take a moment just to review what we went over in the last podcast, the beginning portion uh, of Hebrews chapter 7, the first uh, 11 verses or so. And remember that as I did approach this topic material, I sought the Lord and I said, Lord, how can I teach this in a way that would be powerful for myself and for others? And the Lord really brought out this question, why do we even need a high priest? We in the 21st century, you know, there's no connection with priests. Now, the Jewish people that got this message the epistle to the Hebrews, understood full well the need for priests. But we in the year 2014, well, that's quite a different thing altogether. And as we looked at the reasons why we need a high priest, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, 
and uh, practice some mirror reading. That is uh, from the benefits that we see in those verses of a great high priest, the Lord Jesus, we see our needs. We see that we need to get into heaven. So we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Uh, That's Hebrews 4.14b. We are weak, so we need a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15. We are tempted and can sin, so we need a great high priest who was also tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15b. We do not have access to God and his grace, so we need a great high priest who makes possible a bold and confident access to the throne of grace. Verse 16, we are guilty of sin and wrong, and so we need mercy to spare us from the just punishment due us. We find that mercy at the throne of God's grace because of what our great high priest has done for us. And finally, we are needy, and we find grace to help in our time of need at the throne of God's grace because of what our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. Last time we were talking about Jesus being of the order, the priest order of Melchizedek. That name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He is also known as the king of Salem or the king of peace. We talked about the relationship between peace and righteousness. This priest, Melchizedek, of which Jesus, Melchizedek was a type of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is both priest and king. And we see that Melchizedek back in um, Genesis chapter 14, where the account comes up with Abraham, Abraham was blessed by this priest king Melchizedek. And the effect of that high priestly blessing on his life, and it's also the same when we experience the great high priestly blessing from Jesus on our life, Abraham was enriched by God, not man. Abraham's godliness and It resulted in Abraham being godly and righteous in his actions. And as a result of the blessing of the great high priest, God gets the glory. And the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the law priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. And again, this is another example of the infinite superiority of the new covenant of grace over the old covenant of law. All right, let's dig into our uh, first text for today. It'll be in Hebrews chapter 7 once again, and we're going to begin in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, and we're going to read through verse 19. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest 
who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. All right, let's look at this line by line and discover the gems that are in this wonderful text. Now, verse 11 raises the important premise of why there is a need for a better priesthood than the Levitical law covenant priesthood. Let's uh, read verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Let me just say this. You know, it's important that there is not change for the sake of change. Sometimes you got people who just are really into change. And so they are just into, oh, let's do this different. Let's do this. And you ask them, well, why are you doing that differently? There's no reason. They just like change. It's just change for the sake of change. Well, I can assure you, God does not work that way. And there is a change of priesthood and a change of a great high priest. And the issue of why the change was needed is this word perfection. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Well, perfection that's referred to there means 100% complete. And here in this verse is the logic. If the priesthood could achieve perfection, completeness, being perfect in person and perfect in performance, then it is unnecessary that we would need another priesthood. I mean, how can you improve on perfection? But the Levitical priesthood, the law priesthood, is not perfect. In fact, far from perfect. They could not achieve perfection because its priests were imperfect, committed sin, and they offered imperfect sacrifices. They were animal sacrifices. And the fact that there is, in fact, a change of priesthood underscores the fact that the current priesthood is imperfect and the fact that that we need another priesthood. I mean, if we need perfection, if we need completeness, and it's not happening by means of the Levitical law priesthood, then things need to change. And folks, sometimes things need to change in our lives because what's what we're doing now is not working. What did someone say? Insanity is doing the same old dumb thing, expecting different results. So there needs to be change. There needs to be a new priest. There needs to be a new priesthood. This is a major repeating theme throughout Hebrews imperfect doesn't get the job done. That's why we need perfect. And perfection has come in the perfect one, perfect God, perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect priest with a perfect offering and perfect sacrifice, doing everything to perfection. All right, let's go now to um, Hebrews seven twelve verses 12 through 14. 
which reads this, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken, speaking of Jesus, belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So there's a couple of very, very important things that happen here. It says in verse 12 that the priesthood has indeed changed, and because it's changed, there is of necessity a change of law. Did you know that under the old covenant, the only people who could be a priest were those who were Levites, only of the tribe of Levi, not the tribe of Reuben, not the tribe of Manasseh or anyone else, but the tribe of Levi and not the tribe of Judah. Now, do you realize that under the old covenant, under the covenant of law, that Jesus being a priest, he would be an illegitimate priest because he is of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Levi. Therefore, the law has in fact changed. It's proof again that we are not under the law in any way, shape, or form. Believer, hear this. You are not under law. You are under someone infinitely better, the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say parenthetically that when people hear what the Bible teaches, that we are, the believer is absolutely not under law, but under grace, they hear the not under law part, but they don't hear the under grace part. Friends, the law is infinitely inferior compared to the infer- to the su- infinite superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said this before and I'll say it again. The center of the law is you and your righteousness. The center of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, is the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Which one is better? Well, that's a no-brainer. Obviously, the covenant of grace, the new covenant of which Jesus is the center of all. Now, let's move on to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandments, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It says it is yet far more evident. What's far more evidence? Well, first of all, that the new covenant features a completely different priesthood. And it also, another thing that's far more evident, is that Jesus is in the likeness of Melchizedek, the one whose name means king of righteousness, who is the king of peace, the one who is without genealogy, as we saw in Hebrews 7, 3, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. It says also in verse 3 that Melchizedek is made like the Son of God and remains a priest continually, or some versions say forever. You see, he, Jesus, in the priesthood of Melchizedek, is an 
It's an infinitely superior priesthood compared to the Levitical law priesthood. And we saw that in Hebrews 7 verse 4 and Hebrews 7 verse 6. It says that, uh, you know, why is it far more evidence? Uh, well, it says there in verse 16 of fleshly commandments versus the power of an endless life. The old covenant was a fleshly commandment. And that speaks of man's power and man's strength. It speaks of natural descent and natural ability. It's the fleshly physical commandment. And that is a temporary one that passes away, literally. I mean, flesh does pass away. It does die. Versus the covenant of grace, the new covenant, the power of an endless life. This priest has the power of an endless life. Now, the priests under the old covenant, the Levitical priesthood, had this nasty habit of dying. But the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ lasts forever because he has the power of an endless life. He is eternal and does not pass away. And the power of the endless life of God is what it's all about. God's infinite ability and God's eternality. Oh, what an eternal, infinite difference the new covenant makes over the law because of the eternal, infinite difference of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, just take a moment here and just savor that thought. This is not a covenant like the covenant of law of a fleshly commandment, which is weak and dying and unable to do what needs to be done. This is the power of an endless life, the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of the covenant of grace, the new covenant. Let's move on to verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, it says that on the one hand, there is the annulling of the former commandment. Annulling, the Greek word literally means cancellation. So the former commandment is canceled. Why was the law annulled? Canceled. Reason? Because of its weakness and unprofitableness. How many of you are investors? Would you make an investment in something that was weak and unprofitable? I don't think so. If you would, I would say get a better advisor. You want to be sure to have a profitable and strong investment. That's why the law is annulled. The law could not do it. The law made nothing perfect. You know, I hear people who will say, I hear you knocking the law, Mark. No, I'm not doing it. God, and God is not doing it either. God is telling us this is what the law can do, and this is the big thing it cannot do. The law is not meant to make anybody righteous. The law doesn't make you righteous any more than a 55-mile-per-hour speed limit sign makes you a good driver. The law made nothing 
perfect. Listen to this from Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Did you hear that? Again, that's Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You see it? the bringing in of a better hope. Oh, wow, that does a lot for me. You know, most of our problem and struggle is concern about the future. We are so worried about the future. Will I be able to make it? Will there be enough money? Will I be good enough? Will I be righteous enough? Will I be holy enough? I think the area that can be the point of such consternation in our own lives is our own failure and being concerned will i be able to make it look what verse 19 says because of our better high priest with a better way there is the bringing in of a better hope and as a matter of fact all through the book of hebrews this idea of better 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 son better priest better sacrifice, better covenant, better hope. And it's by means of all of this, this great, perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, by which we draw near to God. And my friend, that's where the life is, God. God is the source of our life. That's where perfection and completeness is. God, not us. That's where holiness and righteousness is. And that is where the blessing is. Okay, let's uh, wrap up the chapter here. Let's read verses 20 through 28. It says this, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests, speaking of the old covenant law priests without an oath, but he, Jesus, with an oath by him, God the Father, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, I'm sorry, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. 
who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Let's take a look at this step by step. First of all, verses 20 to 21. And inasmuch as he was made priest without an oath, for they have become priests, speaking of the law priests, without an oath. He w- now, Jesus was made with an oath. Um, they were made without the oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, notice another huge difference between the law priests and the priesthood of Jesus. The priests under the law became priests by natural descent. They were descendants of Levi, right? But Jesus was sworn in as high priest with an oath to the priesthood of Melchizedek by God the Father himself. Now, remember what we said about oaths when we studied Hebrews chapter 6. An oath is someone swearing to perform as promised. So God the Father swears his son in as priest with an oath. That is a solemn promise to perform as promised. This is not a temporary priesthood, but a forever priesthood. And it says that God the Father will not relent. He won't take it away. So neither can anyone else, including you. You know, we can be so worried about the success of our Christian life and and so worried about how we can mess things up. Look, you're not surprising God with your sin. You're not surprising God with your failure. You're not surprising God with your messing it up. That's why he took it out of your hands. That's why he took it out of my hands. That's why he swore an oath and installed his own son as perfect high priest. And God the Father won't change his mind. He won't relent. He won't take it away. No one can do it, not even you. My friend, let me say it again. God will not fail with you. Now, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Oh, I love this. By so much more. Why is there so much more? Because Jesus continues. He lives forever. Therefore, once a high priest, Jesus is always our high priest. There's no death stopping Jesus. He's sworn in by as high priest by God the Father himself. He is of the order of the kingly priest, Melchizedek, king of righteousness and king of shalom, peace, holiness. And it says that Jesus has become the surety of, of a better covenant. Surety means guarantee. Jesus himself is the guarantee of a better covenant. My friend, this isn't some shyster used car salesman. He's saying, I promise this car will run forever. No, this is God the Father 
giving his own son to guarantee all the blessings of the new covenant to you and to me. Think about that. Think about the radical love of God that would go to such extraordinary ends to bring us into all the benefit and blessing of the new covenant of his grace. Verse 25, therefore, Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through by means of him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I have a question for you as I thought about this particular verse and prayed about it. If Jesus, our high priest, has already offered the perfect once-for-all sacrifice. Now remember, the priests under the Old Covenant, they are constantly doing sacrifices of this and that all the time. It never ended. There was such a bloodbath. But Jesus, our high priest, has offered himself. He's made that perfect once-for-all sacrifice. There needs to be no more sacrifices for sins. So let me ask a question. Why do we still need his high priesthood? He's not sacrificing anything more. I will tell you why. It's in verse 25. Because he ever lives to make intercession. Intercession for you. Intercession for me. Well, what benefit does this intercession have for us? It says he saves us to the uttermost. He is able to save us to the uttermost. Why is he doing that? How can he do that? Because he is able and he is ever interceding. Now, this is salvation to the uttermost, not the pitiful thing we call salvation, unfortunately, in the contemporary church today. A very short-sighted salvation, which basically goes like this, forgiveness and a ticket to heaven. Well, thank God for God's forgiveness. Thank God for the promise of heaven and the reality of heaven. But that is not all of this great salvation. It goes way beyond it. Salvation operates in the present tense, preserving us in this wicked day, keeping us, preserving us from the ungodliness and the unrighteousness and the unholiness of our day. I need that kind of work of preserving, saving work of God. He is able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost is the full length, the full dimension of salvation, not just partial, myopic salvation, short-sighted salvation. Let me say it again. Jesus saves us to the uttermost because he is able and he is ever interceding for you, for me. So let me ask you, do you really think that Jesus, our perfect high priest, will fail in his intercession for you? Never. And so he will not fail with you. Listen, he will not fail with you. You will fail on him. He will not fail in you. And the secret to your success and my success is this one who is so perfect, who is ever interceding, interceding. He is the one who is able to save us to the uttermost. I have to move on. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. 
This word fitting is there. It's the Greek word uh, prepo, and it means to become eminent, conspicuous among a number. Uh, Out of all the answers, you know, we've got a lot of people who have solutions in this world, right? A lot of talking heads, a lot of advice. Try this plan. Try this school. Try this thing. Try our latest DVD. No, Jesus is the best solution. He is the ultimate solution. Why? Verse 26 says that he is holy. He is undefiled. He is separate from sinners. He is higher than the heavens. What more could we ask for? Jesus is perfect, exactly suited as my high priest, as your high priest. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 27 says this, who does not need daily as those high priests, speaking of the law high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. You see, because Jesus perfectly, with his own blood, sacrificed himself. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. It was himself who died. It was himself, the humanity of Christ, who shed the blood. This is indeed perfection, and therefore a once-for-all sacrifice. And what's meant by once-for-all literally means once for all time. How can you improve in perfect? The benefit of perfection never ends. One perfect sacrifice forever benefits. Wow, isn't that incredible? And take this as opposed to the old covenant priests, the law priests, who endlessly repeated daily sacrifices because they were sinful and because they died and didn't have the power of an endless life. Verse 28 says, For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. You see, the law appointed priests who were mere men, sinful men, weak. On the other hand, God the Father stepped in and he got it done. He swore an oath, swearing to do as he had promised, and he appointed his own precious son who has been perfected forever. What that means is when In the book of Hebrews, you see uh, this idea of Jesus being made perfect and so forth. It doesn't mean that he was imperfect. What that means is all of the requirements of righteousness for humanity, line upon line, item by item, it was like a checklist. Check, done, check, done, check, done. Jesus was this. He was born in this fashion. He lived a holy, godly, obedient life to the Father. Check, 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 check check all the way through all of his suffering all the way to the cross bleeding dying and when as he was dying he cried out it is finished the greek word is to it means in the perfect tense all is accomplished everything was done And remember what we were talking about back in Hebrews chapter 4 when it was talking about the Sabbath? 
and God's finished work. And we who have believed do enter that rest. And it's not our rest. It's God's rest. Why is God resting? It's because he's finished. That's what this is all about. This perfect high priest, this perfect son who has been handpicked and and installed with nothing less than the guarantee of the word of God, the oath of God, accomplishes all. I started this broadcast, this podcast, by saying that uh, the most neglected book in all of the Bible, sad to say, is this incredible, glorious book of Hebrews. And I made the point when I said, well, why is that the case? Why do we hear so few sermons and series and messages from the book of Hebrews? Why is the book of Hebrews so rarely quoted in from the pulpit to the podcast or the press or whatever? It's because we are addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to our self-improvement and addicted to our self-righteousness. But God means to change that. Our minds need to be renewed. Renewed into the understanding of our maker, the understanding of this great savior, the understanding of all that he did for us. When we look fully into this one who is so perfect and so wonderful, who accomplished all. And we stop arguing with God going, yeah, but but I need to do this. But uh, yeah, we, we should do this. Or, or, you know, you're leaving this out. Funny thing, that's not what God is saying. God says he did it all. You are in the place of rest. You don't need to strive anymore. I know what the religious say, strive. no. No striving. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to try. We need to trust. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And this faith is anchored in, focused on the perfect son, the perfect high priest with the perfect sacrifice and offering and perfect work, everything done, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it amazes us that in your heart of hearts, from before time began, you purposed this great plan, this great salvation, knowing full well that the human race would make a wreckage of things through sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness and rebellion. But you, Father, in your heart of love, purposed your Son. You raised your right hand and you swore an oath, Father, by installing your Son as High Priest, who is the guarantee of this infinitely better covenant. Father, I pray that you will take these words, the Word of God from Hebrews chapter 7, and Lord, by your Spirit, just light it up that we may see clearly, dispel the darkness. Thank you for your wonderful work. Thank you, Father, for your matchless grace that results in lives that give you highest praise. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen.